Nice things done. Uh, hi, guys. Welcome to Trinidad Podcast, Trinidad Renaissance Podcast. I have a special guest with me, Brooke Potter. I would like to take the the uh, honor. I would like to have the honor to introduce him myself, but I think I might bastardize it. I might butcher it, so I'm going to allow him to do it. <laughs> introduce yourself, Brooke. Uh, thank you, Specular Effect. Thanks for having me on. I mean, you've been a guest on my podcast as well. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Brooke Potter, uh, originally from Trinidad and Tobago, a serial entrepreneur. I was uh, a business development officer back in Trinidad, helping people start businesses. Uh, I was heavily involved in the real estate and uh, the financial markets. Moved out to the UK about two years ago, um, where I've started my own investment company. And uh, I've, I've come to some kind of notoriety commenting on the, the fiscal and economic condition in Trinidad from the perspective of a trader. And uh, I believe that's, that's what's fallen in, gotten me fallen into the trap that I'm in today, which is to discuss the state of Trinidad and Tobago uh, and its economy. So there you go. Oh, and I'm, I'm the co-host of the 10K Rum podcast. If anybody's interested, you can look us up. That's what it's so. called. 10K, 10K Rum podcast. Okay. 10K Rum. Yeah, we just rebranded. So that's the new podcast. Looking to have you on soon, my friend. Really? Uh, that would be an honor, man. I'd, I'd, I'd really like that. That would be cool. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, 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 so. You know, I feel like a nudist, uh, a mosquito in a nudist colony here. Where do, <laughs> where do I begin? Um, you see the, con the condition of our country. Yes. Um, you see it's getting worse and it's getting worse. The influx of the Venezuelans. Um, yes. As a matter of fact, last night I had the opportunity to tune in to one of uh, a Trinidadian's um, live on Facebook, where he and another girl they were basically, uh, you know, doing what Trinidadians do, which is, oh, you know, the government has done nothing for us; they don't like we, that sort of thing. And I, I posited the question. I, I asked the question in the group. Is like, what exactly do you expect your government to do for you? So on that question, I wanted to ask you, what, what, in your opinion, what is, what is the role of a, of a government? What is a government supposed to do for its people? <laughs> um, so I, I would categorize myself as a minarchist. So I believe the government uh, really should be in the, in the role of, you know, very limited scope of things. Uh, definitely defense of the, the island, as the case of Trinidad and Tobago, I think government should be involved in defending the, the borders of a particular country. Um, internally, I think, yes, they should be involved in law enforcement uh, and the courts and so forth. Um, and, and basically upholding contract law. Th those are like the bare, absolute bare minimum. Um, as a case of, of Trinidad, it's a, it's a constitutional republic for those who don't know. Uh, it's involved in everything else. It, it, it controls the major uh, parts of the economy, which is the energy sector. Um, you know, they, they control all of the public utilities and all these other types of things. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into all of these things. Um, but in, in response to, you know, your, your comment to these people, I would love to hear what these people said in response to your question about what did they expect the government to do? I was... So, I was yeah. I was eager to find out what what, what the responses were good were going to be, and to be honest with you, it was just basically vague responses. Um, vague. What I mean by they don't do anything for us. That's pretty right. much what it was. No specifics at all. Yeah, which I mean, would indicate which, which, which no specifics, which should indicate uh, their understanding of what a government is supposed to do. The the, the basic 
commodities that a, that a government is supposed to extend to its general general populace. But no, I didn't get any of those responses okay. at all. I'm, I mean, th this is the culture uh, of Trinidad and Tobago. It's very, it's very dependent. It's very, um, for want of a better word, nanny state. Mm -hmm. uh, every issue that is is you know that the the people are are you know um, confronted with, they scream to the government. And it's created a lifestyle of dependency in that respect. Uh, you know, there's no water. It's the government's fault. If, uh, you know, a woman has eight or nine children and she can't find somewhere to rent, she's screaming out to the government for a house. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, basically for everything. Now, I'm not saying that the government cannot be involved in social welfare. I think, uh, you know, especially for a country as wealthy as Trinidad, you know, considering the region. Um, sure, I, I would expect a certain amount of social welfare. It may not be the best way to spend the money. But it, it's got to be done in some cases. Um, but that mentality of everything is is the government is a complete misnomer of how an economy works. Uh, you know about how to build a successful economy and how to build a successful country. And I think right. it's holding the country back. Uh, you know to a large extent. Okay, so so for the most part, we have jumped forward to the current state of the state of Trinidad and Tobago, where the economy is concerned. And I totally agree with you. Uh, Trinidad, to a large degree, there's a there's a heavy dependency syndrome from the general populace. But I wanted to ask you, if you don't know, that's fine. Because I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with my audience. I do not know. I do not know uh, to the extent to call myself versed on the topic. So the question I wanted to ask you is, um, what can you tell us about Trinidad's economic history? All right. Uh, also, to be honest with your your audience, I am not an economic historian, <laughs> so uh, I'm a trader. Um, so, I mean, Trinidad and Tobago, of course, is a po post-colonial nation. It was, you know, occupied by the British. Uh, it's had oil, and for over a hundred years, I think the first oil well was 1875. Um, and well, then they've also more recently had a, a relationship with natural gas. They've had asphalt, um, sugarcane. So there was a lot, there's always been a very large uh, population of, of industry that was, you know, synonymous in the country itself. Uh, the, since the, the independence, um, the government, of course, looked upon these things, uh, which was the first uh, people's national movement, which was the PNM, uh, Eric Williams, genuinely looked upon these, these industries as, you know, we, we, we've got to use these resources for the people, a typical kind of socialist perspective uh, on, on the economy. And at, at that time, sugarcane was a huge export, uh, oil and natural gas. So they had like the two resources. They said, you know, it's the black gold and the white gold. You know, that, that was kind of the thing. Right. And for a long time, yeah, Trin Trinidad and Tobago as a developing country used that money to develop. Um, but it, it definitely suffered from what's known as a Dutch disease or what's called the resource curse. Um, because they were so heavily dependent on these sole resources, they nationalized them. And as all of these things take place, the, the government became dependent on those fields and let other areas of the economy suffer. Uh, for instance, I mean, Trinidad and Tobago is in the Caribbean region, for those who may not know. Uh, of course, you know, white sand beaches, you know, fantastic carnival, music, festivities. Tourism should be at the top of, uh, of things the country is promoting. And it's probably the least promoted aspect of the entire country. They're so heavily dependent on, you know, oil and everything else.
Um, so I think the failure to diversify the economy, uh, it's affected it in the past, and it's definitely going to cause some problems going forward, considering that, you know, the technology we see coming and these other things. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think the, the petroleum industry accounts for almost 40% of the entire economy, and, and that's, that's massive as it goes. And as a, as a result of, of um, the, the recent effects, you, you, we, would, we could postulate that it's, it's uh, tragic as well, that it actually is 40% and there's no alternative. Correct. Correct. Um, and I mean, th th this is basic, you know, like a small economics lesson on that. If a country has that fixation on one resource, um, they don't necessarily harness, the, you know, the other areas of the industry. So in recent years, they've been trying to push uh, Caribbean film, which, you know, let's be honest, that's not going anywhere. Um, right. They, they, you know, I have to admit the, the soca music has definitely been exported. That's completely private. So the artists and so forth are going out. The promoters are going on. There's soca in Japan, uh, Notting Hill Carnival out here in uh, the UK. But that's, that's not government's run, right? That's completely free enterprise. And that actually has been exported, which is fantastic. But right, it's not right, right. enough to run the entire economy. I mean, entertainment is, I don't know, 5 to 10% of, of the economy. And it's heavily subsidized locally. So I'm not sure it's, it's a, a money maker for the state. But all of these things are resources they do have at their disposal, but they're not promoting and they're not, in, not uh, fostering an environment that these things could actually be, you know, a, a net benefit to the entire country. And I, if it's the attitude, some of it's policy and some of it is just a plain, you know, a lack of vision. Word. Right, right. So just, just a, a recap, you mentioned the Dutch effect. Do you mind expounding on that, you know, or, or once again, going over the Dutch effect, what does that look like? Yeah, so Dutch disease uh, or resource curse is, I mean, the example probably would be uh, Nigeria. Uh, I mean, I can say Venezuela, that has a whole lot set of problems. Um, right. Post-colonial, I would say Nigeria is the best example of that. Nigeria, again, oil-rich country, uh, oil and gas and so forth. And the government is kind of solely tapping into that for its revenue. Right. But because of that, uh, political un unrest has come out. Um, there's, you know, kind of small civil wars taking place. Um, you know, these pirates are trying to, you know, bunker and tap into the pipeline, steal the oil and to finance revolutions and underground, um, you know, armies and militias. Now, Nigeria have other resources as well. You know, I mean, as I say, they give not not so much agriculture, but they have a you know some, some minerals or other things that are available there, but nobody wants to go in there because of all the corruption that has come out from the petrochemical debacle that that they're dealing with. So in short, the the Dutch disease is when a country is is so fixated on one one part of their uh, economy that they basically allow other which could potentially be thriving industries to suffer and you know, just, just uh, you know, never develop. And right. they become solely dependent on this one thing. Right. Uh, I, see, I see your comment here about the video. So I'm just gonna turn the, my camera off. Yeah, yeah. It's, it saves on bandwidth. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, yeah, no um, yeah man, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And um, what, what, so what do you think about in, in regards to the, the, the dependency syndrome that, uh, that plagues Trinidad and Tobago, uh, it's easy for us to say, let's diversify the economy. You hear this from the general populace, 
let's diversify the economy. We need to diversify the economy. And funny thing is, you hear the 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 business owners saying the same thing that you know we ought to diversify the economy, and they're they're beseeching they're beseeching the government, which is essentially relying on government interventionism. And this goes back to the dependency syndrome that we just mentioned. What, what, what do you make of that? That it's not just the general populace, but in, this includes the business owners are relying on government interventionism to solve the problems of the economy. How do, yeah. What does that yeah. look like? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right in, in that respect. Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the business community, especially uh, those that are successful, the big businesses, have very close connections politically with, uh, you know, the, the government on both both sides of the political spectrum, on both parties. Um, so what they're really asking for, because Trinidad as, a, as an investment opportunity is risk averse. Mm -hmm. They don't like to venture into things that aren't like a sure thing. And the only sure thing in the country is oil and natural gas, right? And, and probably right. banking, right? So right. What, what, the, what the business community is actually looking for in that respect is government guarantees for exploration into different industries, right? Um, because they don't want to lose any money. They want to invest in other areas, but they want the government to kind of backstop their risk. And I don't necessarily think that's a good idea, um, but that tends to be the trend. Everybody wants to play it safe. Everybody wants to protect their bottom line. And that culture of risk-taking, like you, you see that very much with the Americans. Um, you, you know, you go out to Asia, you know, what's going on in Shenzhen and China and stuff like that. You need to be able to, to accept a certain amount of risk if you want to be an entrepreneur. I, I spent a lot of time speaking about this. And that culture of risk-taking, entrepreneurship, yes, you may not get a paycheck for a couple of months, but it'll be worth it in one year, two years down the line, the ability to put off immediate gratification. That <laughs> culture is completely absent in Trinidad and Tobago, right? <laughs> it's so rare to find people who are actually willing to do that. And there's really no support for that type of culture. Now, if the government really wanted to do that, I think they could do it through certain regulations, maybe certain tax incentives, um, like, I mean, simple, simple thing that I, I put forward in a proposal about almost 10 years ago was to allow 2% of like the biggest companies to be funneled into startup businesses and the, they get like a, tech, a tax credit for investing in these brand new enterprises. Mm -hmm. um, so thereby to try and allow the money to flow, the profits from these bigger companies to go into these incubators and these startup communities and stuff like that. Um, no traction, no support. It, it required an act of parliament. Not, nobody took it seriously because why would they, <laughs> you know? So, um, sorry to yeah. interject here. Be I have to interject here because what you're saying, your proposal sounds like common sense to you and me, right? Yes. It sounds like common sense. Why do you think there's no traction outside of the fact that they, these people are just, uh, you know, afraid to take risks? Why, why else would they, what are there any other reasons as to why they would not they would scoff or they would they would they would rebuff your uh, your proposal uh yes actually and i i discovered this you know again through my build, my dealings with um you know a lot of startup businesses i, I had there, there is a business development corporation out in trinidad and tobago and that is the government's backstop for small business loans uh, uh up, up to like 80 percent or something like that um but it's a complete racket the 80 percent 
yeah, they, they'll they'll guarantee up to eighty percent of your loan up to a certain amount, right? Uh, so that's to encourage the bank to lend. The, so the, the way it works, you come with a proposal. Let's say it's a hundred thousand TT dollars. They will give you a loan guarantee up to eighty thousand of that. You go to the bank and say, well, here's my twenty percent equity. Here is the loan guarantee, and you get the loan from the bank. That's how it's supposed to work, right? Right. Um, but it's a complete rocket because at least the time that I was there, um, most people weren't even qualified. You, you, a lot of that was shot down. And if you did qualify and your business actually became successful, there were certain business interests that would be alerted to your business and they would be given preferential ability to repossess your business through the loan. And they were literally go to the bank and be like, we want this business and they will take over the loan and get 80% of the ownership of the business. Wow. Absolute horror story. Absolute racket that's going on. And people are making a lot of money doing this, which is why there is literally no political will to change the system at all. Wow. 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 So there's a total breakdown. Um, that That's just, that's disheartening to hear. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, man, um, this is where we are from. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I'm, there's so much to be said on that. <laughs> and I mean, as, as an entrepreneur out there, I, I really tried. Um, I tried to build um, like angel investor networks. I knew some rather you know, high net worth individuals. I tried to you know, match them with certain projects. Um, I tried to do hard money lending. So that was like, okay, somebody maybe has a million dollars sitting you know, in the bank, which was getting basically no interest in the country. And I'd say, well, if you put that money up as collateral for this man's business, he'll give you like an extra 2% a year, you know, off the top. And I tried everything to finance projects. And right. I mean, some, some worked, I'm not going to deny, we definitely got a couple of them off the ground and, and some of them are still going today. Um, but yeah, the, the funding, just the culture, nobody wants to take risk. And it mm -hmm. was it was a, a constant uphill battle, mm -hmm. especially now with technology, where you don't even have infrastructure. Right, like you don't you don't have factories, machines, or anything to like put a lien against. Mm -hmm. there, there's there's no economy for that, really. Right, 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 right. So I wanted to I wanted to, uh, wow, that's just an eye opener. My eyebrows are just like on the top of my head now. Oh, that, that's um, not even what's going on behind the scenes in the black market, but we won't even get into that. <laughs> no, no, by all means, if we, if you want to get into the, to, to what goes on in, in the black market, I would be more than happy to. I mean, I, 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 I can touch on it. Um, please, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but, um, sure, sure, sure. One of the underlying forces in the country, of course, is what we would refer to as the pharmaceutical industry or the drug business. Um, oh no shit. <laughs> So there is, there is a lot of money in Trinidad, like ridiculous money passing through the country and stuff like that. Now, there are sometimes these ads that show up in the paper for business financing and, and other things. Um, and a lot of this money, you know, you, you, call, you call the person, you'll speak to a broker and stuff like that. And they're basically putting you in touch with these high net worth individuals, some of which might have less than, you know, honest intent. Mm-hmm. And they'll back your project, mm -hmm. but at, at basically predatory rates and control 99% of your business. Okay. Predatory right? so lenders. Yeah, predatory lenders uh, 
I mean, I've, I've heard as high as 40%. I, I, I can't verify that. I, I, the, the few projects that I looked at in real estate, which was backed by real estate, which should have been less risky, was 18%. And the person wanted literally between 95 to 99% ownership of the shareholding of the business. Right. So, I mean, it, it's, it, it's a form of slavery at the end of the day. You might get a job, you do all the work, you toil, you get it off the ground. At the end of the day, these people could just snatch it up and, and you have no real recourse you know, anymore after that. And that's also taking place off the books in, in the economy. So just as a recap, um, your current view of the, I'm sorry, your view of the current state of Trinidad's economy uh, involves a lot of shady business, predatory lending. And would you, how would, how, how far would you go as to die on a hill to talk about or to refer to crony capitalism? Uh, yes, that is, I mean, that is the business nature in Trinidad at the moment, right? So, um, just to give definitions, I don't want people to be confused by this. Uh, so capitalism is a, you know, it's a free market exchange uh, surrounded between two individuals voluntarily doing business, protected by contract law, and that law is enforced by the courts if, if there's any disagreement. So easy example, I'm selling you my car. We come to an agreement on the price. We write up a, a bill of sale. You give me a receipt and I transfer the title. That is free market capitalism. That is the ideal. But what's referred to as crony capitalism, which is more accurately described as corporatism, is basically where big, well, business gets involved with government and they uh, force or entice or seduce or bribe government to basically give them lucrative contracts or lucrative opportunities. Uh, I, I'm assuming most of your listeners would would probably know this experience of owning a car. You you buy a car outright, but in order to drive the car on the road, you must have some kind of insurance. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that's the case in the United States. It's standard, I think it's, yeah, universal. Yeah. Uh, you must buy insurance, right? Now, there's nothing physically keeping you from driving the car on the road, but that is a good example of crony capitalism where the insurance companies come together and they lobby and be like, well, we need this to be mandatory. And the government passes a law that favors the insurance companies to mm -hmm. get, you know, to get basically a monopoly on, on this section of the, of the business. Okay. So that's, that is basic. Those are the definitions. And in Trinidad, that's standard business procedure. Mm. That is, that is basically wow. they're, they're, there's very little opportunity um, for the organic free capital uh, market and, and the organic market to really thrive without government contracts and government incentives and government handouts and bailouts. So there are a lot of people who make millions overnight. You know, I, a certain even lawyers, not doesn't even have to be businesses, just lawyers who happen to know somebody in government and they're awarded millions in contracts and it's just a, you know, a favor from the party sort of thing. Uh, while other lawyers, you know, they just don't have the connections. They, you know, they, they might be struggling. That is, right, right. if you want to make money in, in Trinidad and Tobago, unfortunately, you have to have some kind of political connection uh, to, to get anything started or to get anything done, at least anything substantial. Right, right. That's unfortunate. And the reason why I say it's unfortunate is because it seems like it, it, it puts a damper 
on entrepreneur entrepreneurship and for people who are who are um really interested in starting their own business people who are interested in creating wealth for themselves as well as wealth for the country or in the, their people in, in their immediate circles it, it's it's quite unfortunate that they they need to rely on this i would call it an ill of capitalism I, i'm not sure if you would consider crony capitalism to be an ill of capitalism Correct. Um, you would you would okay that's good um yeah uh it, it's sad it's really sad that they, they would they would go to the lengths of conducting business in that way because it doesn't it stifles growth it, it stifles wealth creation etc and Correct. just for, for only and it's only for a few people right yes yeah th th those contracts uh if it's a big contract it's going to go to a big company and, and you know uh but otherwise it's nepotism it's who they know yes, yes. that sort of thing right right so so what are, what are what are the other ills of, of of capitalism if any that you can name other than nepotism and crony capitalism yeah yeah i, I mean i would say those are failing of government if the government if there was uh, like a uh just as this in the united states for instance the separation of church and state right. i think there should be a separation of business and state but you know that that's a different that's a different conversation yeah, yeah that's that's um, getting into libertarianism and anarcho-capitalism and you know that's i mean i yeah. think i still think that Trinidadians ought to learn this and to understand the differences. Do you, do you think you could you could delve into it a little bit? Sure, sure. So, I mean, lib libertarianism, it, it's an umbrella term that basically means limited government. Uh, it goes all the way from the, the anarcho-capitalists or the, uh, the uh, yeah, so those are people who believe there should be no government. Mm -hmm. Everything could be private contract. Everything could be voluntary exchange. Um, and th there's really no need for any kind of overarching uh, institution, you might have local councils, local, um, you know, a small, you know, whatever local government you have, but it's close to the people and it's accountable. And you go all the way across to basically what was considered the founding of the United States, a constitutional republic, mm -hmm. um, where basically, basically all, all of the amendments basically outlined how the government works, its restraints, and it's, it's basically to hold back the government power upon the people. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I would say, and, and everything in between, there's a minarchist, and uh, a minarchist is basically right. The government should kind of return to its basic functions. I, I'm kind of in that camp. Okay. So, yeah, those are the terms. So, uh, yeah, libertarianism is basically to allow people, leave people alone, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to sum it up, if you're not hurting anyone and you're, you want to involve yourself in whatever, whoever you want to sleep with, whoever you want to love, marry, whatever. Uh, whatever gun you want to buy, you know, if whatever marijuana you want to plant, whatever, as long as you're not hurting anybody else or costing anybody any tax money, you should be free to do what you want. That, that's right. That, yeah, that's that's kind of libertarianism, right? Which right. is the complete opposite of the culture in Trinidad. <laughs> exactly. Now, um, I wanted to ask you, right? Do you yeah. do you think this organic form of capitalism, if it were to take um, take a hold in Trinidad that it would it would better Trinidad and Tobago I I would say if yeah I mean definitely it would do that even if they were to apply the capitalist principles to the energy sector um there are ways of avoiding the resource curse uh the, the Scandinavian model the Nordic model has shown that mm -hmm. uh, so Norway for instance has oil and natural gas uh but they took it upon themselves that they 
you know, they, they planned it out from the beginning. It was all going to be private contracts. So it, it's not state run. Um, yes, very high revenue, um, uh, revenue contracts and, uh, you know, uh, tax revenue from these uh, oil companies. But then they also decided that all of that money, all of that oil money was going to go into one fund that was going to be invested on behalf of the entire country. Mm-hmm. And it could not be invested in Norway, right? So it had to go to like the US stock exchange, property in London, you know, uh, projects in Shanghai, that kind of thing. Right. Now, the reason they did that again is because the, the, just the nature of politics. If, you've, if you're getting a revenue stream, uh, such as oil or, or whatever it is, if it's mining, uranium, whatever the case might be, there is too much political incentive to use that money to buy political favor. Right. And you run into corruption, you run into the, the Nigeria situation. Right, right. Now, if the Trinidad and Tobago, now I understand it's different, right? Norway was definitely a more developed country than Trinidad. I understand they needed to develop the country. I, uh, sure, I, I know it's not, it's not an apples to apples comparison. Mm-hmm. But now that I think the Trinidad is probably more established, they really should be focusing on, you know, not that they would, but moving away from this nationalist approach. So as it stands right now, I think, well, the oil is definitely nationalized. The, the natural gas is nationalized. All of the utilities are, are nationalized. Um, the power distribute, well, the power is private, but the distribution is nationalized. And none of them are making money. All of them are costing a fortune, right? So, sounds like the, the, the bedrock for, uh, for a socialist or totalitarian state. It could. It could. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, I mean, Trinidad is such a small place. You really have to have very low ambitions if that's what you want to rule. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, if, if the government really wanted to cause damage, they could. As if these institutions weren't kind of digging themselves into a hole as it is. But so, 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 so I listen. I'll be very frank with you and honest and tell you, listen, I, I like you, I've, I've pondered these things and you are echoing certain things that have uh, occurred to me. And um, it seems as though what's going on in Trinidad is there's a dependency syndrome, right? Which yes. looks like socialism. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. Then there's, then there's crony capitalism. <laughs> yes. Right. It, 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 what the hell kind of economy is this Trinidad have this socialism, the socialist underpinnings, there's crony <laughs> capitalism. What else is there? I mean, it, 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 it sounds like, like a totalitarian state. What, what is actually, what, what essentially, what is Trinidad and Tobago's economy? What, what's going on there? It, it's, it's a very good question. Um, and it, it has a lot to do with the, you know, the history. So when, when the British left, they left us with free market capitalism, uh, you know, rule of law, you know, the education system and all of which were, were really some of the best in the world at the time. Um, and as you would have it, Texaco was the original owner of like the oil refinery. Um, they saw the, the changes coming in the energy market and the government uh, basically said they were leaving the country. And I think they sold it, the refinery to the government for like a ridiculously low price. I, I don't remember what it was. And the government bought it just to save jobs, mm. which is not really the mm. role of a government. A government to bail out like that. That's right. It, Right. Correct. Correct. But that started a long-term trend 
Oh. And I mean, this is the set now we're coming into the seventies and it was the socialist revolutions. And <laughs> so Trinidad started to adopt more and more of this kind of nationalist identity uh, in, in, in the economy. It's not how it started. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of where it came from. So it is a mixed economy. There is free market. Um, I mean, the, the only place you really see it is an entertainment in, in Trinidad and Tobago. That that's mm. the, the music has come up, uh, you know, the, the, well, the parties, the clubs and, and that sort of thing. Um, people could open and close that by whim, right? There's a lot right, of that right. going on. I also heard, I'm sorry, yeah. I also learned, and I, I, this could be, you know, this is on the vine, so I don't really know if it's true or not, but um, that carnival is nationalized as well. Right. The carnival thing is interesting. Um, it's, it's not nationalized, but it's heavily subsidized. Mm. I think that's, that's the better way to say it. Uh, so again, anybody, you know, listeners who may not know, yes, carnival is the biggest um, festival quote unquote um, that, that takes place in the country, usually in February for two days, uh, the two days before Ash Wednesday. Um, but there is such a buildup to it. There are parties, I think from the like, November, the year before, you know, they have the band launchings, they've got, you know, uh, Marshall Monday, they, you know, all, all the soca artists coming out and they have their fets and all this, this type of thing. So it's, it's a massive deal. It, it really does transform the entire country and there are tourists that fly in and everything like that. Now right. here's, here's where it gets interesting. Um, the main judging arena is what's known as the Savannah, which is the world's biggest roundabout. Uh, the government erects this massive stand, the grandstand, uh, and the stage and the masqueraders come out in their costumes and they have to cross the stage and it's all on television. Uh, they've also got all the Calypso shows and all this other kind of stuff. And the government spends, I believe between 200 to 350 million TT dollars a year to build this stadium as well as give subsidies to all of the mass camp uh, producers. So all of the people who are making the costumes. And that also pays for all the prize money for the, for the singers who win and the, the Calypsonians and all that kind of, it, it varies year to year. It, it's generally around $300 million. And that's kind of basically the money that they would get in terms of like the tourists money that comes in. So it's not really producing anything. It's because again, because it's so heavily subsidized and stuff like that. Now to keep it in perspective, these mass mass camps, for, for instance, that are making the costumes um, are making millions off of the, off, off of these contracts, right? They're already charging astronomical prices for the masqueraders, the people buying the costumes, and then they get free money from this, from the government to the point where, they can literally, for the entire year, they can travel all around the world just producing costumes for all the different carnivals. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous money. And, and it, sounds, it sounds weird too, like the government is subsidizing this? Like, really? This, this, this carnival, is carnival profitable? It's not, it's not because of the subsidy, it's not profitable. Exactly. Right? Like if they didn't do the subsidy, yes, it, it, it might actually be a revenue generator, but they spend, and I think for two reasons, not, not just economic, but, but they, they spend more than I think they really take in. But I think they do it as a, they know it's a, a social release for the country. Oh man. Right. Oh. It, it's, it's a kind of way to prevent social unrest. And I think 
they believe the the, the more they put into it, the, the calmer the people sort of thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> just, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's social engineering at its worst. Right, right. So, so what we have here is that um, you wouldn't necessarily consider Trinidad a capitalist nation, right? I mean, it, it's it's like most economies. It's mixed. It's definitely okay. mixed. Um, but because of their their heaviest socialist movement, um, some things are are squashing the, the the free market elements of the rest of the economy. Okay. So I wanted to ask you. So so what are the the, the common misconceptions and myths surrounding capitalism? And and capitalism as it relates to Trinidad and Tobago economy and people in general, they're the, the common ethos and thinking of Trinidadians when they think about capitalism. Do you know anything about that? Do you do, can you tell me about the common misconceptions of capitalism first, then sure, sure. the common misconceptions that Trinidadians have about <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> I mean, it's it's much of the same. I think it's much of the same. Uh, I mean, the biggest myth of capitalism is the idea that the rich get rich at the expense of the poor. Right. Um, so it, it's the, the zero-sum fallacy, which is the right. idea that there's only a fixed amount of money, and if somebody accumulates a great amount of money, that means it's taken from everyone else. That that That's the thinking. Right. Um, so, in yeah, in Trinidad, they have the same kind of uh, what the leftover Occupy Wall Street movement that y'all had a number of years ago yes. in uh, New York. Yes. You know, so it's the whole, you know, the 1%, the millionaires and billionaires, as Bernie Sanders would like to say. Aha. Uh -huh. you, you said the 1%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which they, they don't even understand the 1% isn't, isn't even millionaires and billionaires, right? Right, right, right. Um, but that, that thinking, you know, when you when you speak to people about, about capitalism, especially in Trinidad, they think it's it's exploitative and you know, it's destroying the environment and it only benefits that 1%. Right. Okay. That's, that's the general uh, myth that people, you know, kind of come to. Okay. Now, are there any myths surrounding the 1%? Oh, in Trinidad? Yes. Yes. And uh, it's kind of complicated, but yeah, they, they, they think that the rich in Trinidad have gotten so because of exploiting uh, the rest of the country. Which is which is basically and essentially every uh, you know haves versus the have-nots. Uh, Correct. That's the, the, yeah. That's the basic. Um, it's it's neo-Marxism right? about power, the power dynamic. You know, oppressor, oppressed, oppressed kind of thing. Someone um, so got yeah. rich because they stole or they took from or exploited someone else. Correct. Correct. Um, now, I'm not going to deny there are unscrupulous business people out there, right? If you want to get rich, you can screw 12 people out of money and make money. And, but, I mean, you'll never have a reputation. And right. that happens in Trinidad just like it happens everywhere else. Right. Um, I'm also not going to deny, uh, you know, yes, there are some really shady deals, drug dealing, and other things that have made people wealthy in Trinidad. Not going to deny any of that. But there are certain businesses that I know for a fact, you know, the, the family's been in business, legacy businesses, you know, from the time of the 60s and the 70s, and they've built these massive empires right. um, legitimately. Uh, you know, one of the biggest hardware producers out there, I think, is Bhagwan Singh. That's right. Right. They did it by selling construction material at the time when the construction boom was taking place in the 70s. Um, when, you know, the, the whole oil embargo was taking place uh, with Iran and, and uh, you know, the, the OPEC nations, Trinidad made a killing because we produced oil and this, you know, little country suddenly was flooded with money. Right. And some people saw it and 
they capitalized on it. So uh, Harry Creek oil, uh, sorry, Harry Creek cement, Bhagwan Singh, you know, uh, I know a lot of the food industries. So the KFC, I can't, I can't remember what company that is that owns the franchise. All of that is legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I try to explain that to people that the reason, you know, these companies are, are successful is because they've provided services and benefits and products that you people want. And nobody's forced, nobody comes from these companies and puts a gun to anybody's head and says, give me money. No, it's voluntarily given because, you know, people want to build houses or they want to buy fried chicken or whatever the case might be. Precisely. Yeah. And that's, that's something a lot of people don't really understand. Right. So, so, so essentially, Trinidadians do not understand the function of the 1% or un- understand what the 1% really means. And Correct. Um, um, I will be honest and again and tell you that my, <clears throat> my fami- familiarities with Trinidad and everything Trinidad has only been rekindled for the past two years. And, I, you know, coming back in. Um, I learned about the Anthony Bourdain and the Lebanese uh, and the comment that one of them, you know, someone carelessly made a comment. One of the the Lebanese people, they carelessly made a comment and, oh my God, the uproar from the, from the average Trinidadian about all that, this is the 1% and the 1% this and the 1% that. And I am just curious as to find out, to finding out your opinions on the Trinidadians perspective of the 1%. Let's, let's, let's character sketch the Trinidadians uh, current understanding of the 1% and their role, their roles in Trinidad and Tobago, as opposed to what it really is. So we're going to, we're going to have, we're going to have a strike and parry contrast here. Right, right. Strike and parry. Let's let's start with the strike. Who's gonna? You know, let's let's look at it from the from the, from the angle of the Trinidadian. I'll go right. first. Yes, one percent is into drug trading, and they they buy off politicians. Parry. Yes, yes, that that's definitely the the, the Trinidadian side. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, the the other side to that, of course, is you know, yeah, that's obviously not true, right? right. Not everybody is is connected to to politicians. Not everybody is dealing in drugs. There are people who legitimately do food businesses and, and other things like that. Um, yeah, you, you can you can make money. You know, even lawyers make money without having to sell drugs That's and right. bribe politicians, right? There are some very wealthy lawyers out there that don't do any of that. So, yeah. Okay. Another strike would be <laughs> uh, Rowley and his administration are there he's an oreo because he does the biddings of the syrians and the uh the lebanese and he has done nothing for us we we he, he do nothing <laughs> for we yeah that that's that's really interesting because i mean I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the of uh mr rowley and uh the people's national movement but i do understand the position he's in because of the shrinking economy right. and the thing that he has done for the we the people is cut spending Exactly, right. my point. <laughs> right, <laughs> the, the the amount. I mean, you know, the the dissolution of Petrotrin. Most Trinidadians don't even understand what's taking place with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's definitely cutting out a lot of the public servants, and and he's trying to reduce the expenditure as best as possible to maintain the welfare payments to the rest of the country. They don't see it. They don't. They don't see it. So yeah, yeah, you might well think, well, he hasn't given you a fresh handout. 
but he's he's slashing the government to maintain the handouts you're getting now. So very good, a fresh handout. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, 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 um, so, so Rowley, right? Um, I've I've gone on record saying, um, you know, the guy, the guy is in, he's in a tough position, and you guys are advocating for him to be the poor man's politician, and. <laughs> We, you and I could both, we could, we, we could, we understand what the poor man's politician produces, what it, what it looks like Maduro. Exactly. It looks like uh, Mao Zedong. Okay. Exactly. Right. Do you have anything to say on that? The whole poor man's uh, politician, as opposed to uh, greasing the palms of those who would be considered the 1% who are responsible for your industries for your jobs or the job, the job markets, the job, the, the growth in the job markets and, and all your services. Do you, can you expound on that oh, a little bit? Oh, oh definitely. Um, I mean, it, it, it comes down to this. Like if, if I was an investor, well, I am an investor. So if, if a person wants to invest their money, who are you going to give your money to, to invest? You know, the guy who's living on the streets who says he's got a hot tip on a horse that's going to win, you know, the Kentucky Derby, or a guy that actually has built some kind of enterprise and, you know, he's, he's has like a track record, this, this kind of thing. Right. And the people of wealth and means, I'm not denying there are ridiculously wealthy people. Not all of them have been legitimate, but these people know how to handle money. They generally employ large swaths of the population. They run multiple businesses. They, they contribute to the coffers. Uh, these people, have, and they also give very much to charity, which is something you don't really hear about, um, especially in education and stuff like that. A lot of scholarships go out, a lot of, you know, these types of things. So these people are very um, generous in terms mm -hmm. of, of the population. And you contrast that with the everyday man. He's, he's not nearly, uh, you know, giving as much in that respect. Right. So if you're in the government position, who are you going to give your money to? You're going to give it to the man on the street or you're no going to give it to you know the investor the guy who's obviously given some kind of track record now yes that is the rich getting richer fully accept that but as a result of that the poor get richer uh -huh. because now there are more opportunities there are jobs created there's new construction projects the rich don't just sit on their money and be like oh wow i'm sitting on a big pile of money this isn't like scrooge mcduck you know it's <laughs> yeah <laughs> right, they they put their money to work in in businesses and investments, uh, small loans, some of it, yeah, some maybe financing some of the back backroom deals that I've discussed before, but that money goes back into the economy because they want that money to produce a return, and that provides opportunity for the rest of us. Right. So you're basically explaining to the audience how um, uh, how the economy works, <laughs> um, and, and please explain to them what happens when a politician or a leader takes the monies from the treasury or from the industries and gives it to the poor, what it looks like. Right. So the, the social, I mean, okay, there, there, there is social welfare in the last, mm -hmm. I think 30 years or so we've seen a move away from private charity and uh, what used to be called the mutual aid society or the friendly societies Interesting. towards what we have now, which is the government welfare system. Mm -hmm. And the problem with the government welfare system is that it, it's rigged to keep you dependent upon the government. Mm -hmm. If you're receiving your checks from the state, 
the government knows that as long as you're getting your money, you're more than likely going to vote for the status quo. Whoever's in power has, you know, they, they've got an edge. And if they in, promise to increase it or they promise to do whatever, whatever, they think they can pretty much secure a vote. Mm-hmm. And that, that money, yes, I agree, it's, it's mostly spent in the economy and stuff like that. But it will never produce a major return like if you give it to somebody who's building an entirely new property, for instance, or an entirely new factory. Mm-hmm. You know, the value of that is is incalculable compared to just giving it away to, you know, the less fortunate who are spending it on their everyday living. Right. And if if that happens too much, and, and we've seen this in Sweden, and we've seen it in Venezuela more recently, uh, and, and basically every socialist experiment that's ever taken place, given enough time, you run out of other people's money to mm-hmm. give to the poor, right? Right. The, the, the rich are not tied to any particular country they can leave money is freely transferred around the country around the world if they think they're being exploited or taken advantage of they will just go and i mean entire industries like very recently um metal closed mm-hmm. uh metal steel in trinidad and tobago um which is you know it, it was very funny because he just lost in the industrial court over an issue of, of employment Interesting. But the man is so rich and so powerful and, and, and so, you know, well-connected and everything like that. Once he lost, he just closed down the factory entirely and basically said, well, take that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm taking my ball and going home, right? He's gone. <laughs> now, I'm, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's fair because he was in violation of laws, you know, and, and workplace stuff. So he really should have copped up and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. But that, that is the problem with, I mean, he's an international guy. He's not a, a guy in Trinidad. He lives in London and, you know, he's got an empire around the world. He made his money in Trinidad, right? Right, right. But that is the risk. That, that just, that's just to highlight the potential risk. If you keep prodding the people with resources, they're under no obligation to stay in the country and continue to provide the services that they have. Right. Right. So what would your message be to those, those, uh, well, I understand that they're called PNMites and, uh, <laughs> whatever they're called, these, these euphemism and, and dysphemisms, right. You know, Trinidadians already, they, they'll come up with, with the most clever and most insulting at the same time. Right. Um, what would you say to, <laughs> what would you, what would you say to, to these people who say, you know, what Rowley do for we, <laughs> what do you, what would you say to these people? I mean, I, this, is, this is so fascinating because Rowley did, I don't know if you saw it, he did a, a two-hour presentation on the state of the economy maybe a year ago, maybe a little bit longer. And this was his attempt to explain the condition of the Trinidad economy from the government's revenues and so forth. And I thought it was really good. I thought he did a really good job. I didn't know how true everything was. That's but he was Right, fair enough. And I'll, I'll, I'll give that. I, I didn't really look into it any further, but it was his attempt to try and explain to his supporters why he's not able to do more, whatever more is, right? And it dawned on me at that moment that, you know, you're, you're kind of talking to people who may not fully understand what you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> right? Um, so I, in my position, if you're asking me what, what would I say to them, 
I don't think I'd say very much. I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably hand them Thomas Sowell and be basically oh, okay. the <laughs> and be like, Merry Christmas, you know? Merry Christmas, that's right. <laughs> I, I can't even begin to have the conversation because we're not even speaking the same language, oh, uh, the, go, yeah. the economic language, if you understand yeah, what I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that's what Rowley was trying to do. Now, Rowley is not an economist. He's a geologist. Right. Um, but, I, you know, he laid it out as simply as he could, you know, with charts and diagrams and everything like that. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm, not saying it, I'm not saying it's all true, but it was his attempt to try and explain to his supporters why, you know, he can't do more. And the, the response was very interesting. A lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people... I yeah, saw the they, I saw the memes online. Yeah, a lot of people didn't like it. They yeah. they they were basically uh, after. Is it true? Is it not true? Which is which is a good way to think. It's it's sure, you know it's sure. healthy. It's healthy. But at the same time, when you're asking these questions, you have to show some modicum of understanding of, of basic economics. And oh. the majority of the people online that I interact with, and I'll be honest, I'm an agitator online. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a five starter. Um, they just don't understand basic economics, and so yeah, Thomas Sowell would be a very good Merry Christmas uh, present for these people. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, the the, the discussions I've had, I don't have them with. I, I'm not like you. I don't. I don't have your trolling abilities. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've I've moved away from trying to explain things to people, and I I just tell well, this is how I see it. Um, so ironically, one of, one of the first videos that I did on my YouTube channel, uh, was why I left Trinidad mm -hmm. and it, it, ha it had very much to do with the oil markets, things that we see taking place globally and how I knew this was going to result in, you know, lower oil prices three years before the market crashed. Brooke, and yeah, that's how I found you. Right. Oh, okay. Great. Great. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, that was my first. That was one of my first videos because I, I kept having to explain to people in the UK why I was here. <laughs> so I just did a video. And um, I mean, I, it's not exactly viral, but I think it got like 60,000 views uh, at this point. And my follow-up video was that it was like, well, people were asking me, well, if the oil price is going to go down, what are the repercussions? Are we going to end up like Venezuela? And I had to explain. I said, well, what happened in Venezuela were, you know, destruction of property rights, you know, fun funky currency exchange. There's a lot of other factors beyond just oil prices and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and I think that that video has done pretty well also. But if you read the comments, which is what I was getting to, if you read the comments from my, our, you know, my fellow Trinidadians, um, where I'm just laying the facts. This is how I see things. And I made these decisions based on you know, what I've seen. I'm not saying it's right and I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just what's best for me. I mean, there are literally death threats in oh, yeah. those comments. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, people and uh, threats never to return to the country. And, you know, why am I bad talking the country or the people, which I never did? And, you know, just Trinidadianism. But, uh, Trinidadianism. Yeah, hmm. exactly. And a, a few people, they think they knew everything and, you know, they, they try to correct me for want of a better word. And it's just like, okay, if you know better, you go right ahead. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that that was the 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 wall that I hit. Uh, and I didn't even look for it. They, they came to me, which is which is the <laughs> irony. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, that is that is the good times are not gonna last forever, and it's a very hard thing for Trinidadians to understand. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so you know, people from our um, uh, alumni, our alma mater, those guys, I think that I find them to be quite disappointing when it comes to these things, because they themselves have proven, in my experiences at least, to not understand these basic economic rules and, and know how to identify these basic economic fallacies, as Thomas Sowell calls them. Right. And Correct. let me tell you, man, it, it's it's so disillusioning because, OK, we went to school together. We shared the same spaces together. We had P.E. together. That's that sort of thing. Right? And you're thinking, OK, you know, these guys are growing just as much as I am growing. And it's so disillusioning to find out, like, no, they have not. You know, have you had any experience like that? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah I, I recently did a, a reunion. So they're, they're basically five guys from Trinidad and Tobago from our alma mater who live in the London area. Uh, four of us managed to meet up. And I, I was very surprised that all of them, they, they all went into education, hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and in, in some, well, so two, I think all of them are PhD, uh, I might save one. Uh, so they've all kind of gone in that route and stuff like that. And, um, they've been raised on a, on public education, right? Mm. In, in the country, in uh, the alma mater, in universities and so on. And I mean, to do PhD, that's, you know, another three, four years of your life after your master's. So they've been so ingrained in that education system for so long. They really can't see things outside of that. Mm -hmm. So two of them have gone on to be professors. One has become an engineer um, <laughs> in like, green tech he's like designing windmills and and other things like that and i mean no, I could that's say whole, cool it is cool I, I could say a whole thing about that but it's still heavily government regulated yes, a lot yes. of governments you know it's still that heavy government influence uh on the green tech side uh, there's only one he he's kind of he's a real entrepreneur you know he's opened a garage you know he's he's br brewing his own brandy you know a real hustler. Oh, nice nice yeah, okay great guy great guy um, but I, I, when we were having these conversations, especially around things like Brexit, oh boy, yeah, there was a discount. So I, for those who don't know, yeah, I, I didn't vote in the, in the referendum. I wasn't here, but I am definitely pro Brexit, mm -hmm. uh, and I have a, a multitude of reasons why, which I'll, I will spare the listeners at this point. Okay. And when I tried to explain why this was, why I had that position, they literally couldn't understand it. Yeah, the jaws were on the floor, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Look, I looked at you like you're you're an alien. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and ironically, they're like, "But you're an immigrant." I said, "Yes, I am a immigrant." So what? <laughs> there's that doesn't mean that I want the whole country of Trinidad to move here, right? Oh my god! <laughs> it's like I left that for a reason, right? Right? You know, they can't, they but, can't understand that. They won't yeah, be able but, to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, bless them. They're great guys. We had a great time. I'm not knocking them. I just I know that where they're at. But yeah. this is the mindset. And, and I'll point on that as well. You know, somebody once asked me, you know, what does it take to have a prosperous uh, country, society, anything like that? Mm -hmm. And I, I explained it. It doesn't take age, right? Uh, Egypt is probably one of the oldest countries on the, on the, on the planet. Mm -hmm. And they still remain one of the poorest. Mm -hmm. So it's not about how old the country is. The United States is a relatively new country. Mm -hmm. And it is by far the most prosperous. Mm -hmm. um, Right, it doesn't take natural resources either, which is quite contrarian to what people might think. Um, Japan, up until recently, until until the cell phone revolution, had no natural resources. Mm -hmm. They imported everything. 
And, at, you know, back in the 80s, everybody thought the Japanese were going to take over the Americas because of how much money they had, you know. Right, right. Uh, they, they were buying up everything, but that's the United States was exporting their inflation. So <laughs> that's right, a whole other exactly. story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was very clever. Um, so it doesn't take resources and it doesn't take age. So it really does come down to the attitude of the people and you need free markets and limited government corruption, right? So you need a functioning judiciary. That's it. That's and, it. We've, and we've seen countries like Singapore, uh, well, Hong Kong has definitely been an example of that. Even more recently, China to a certain extent because of their you know, loosening up of the markets a little bit uh, in some of their economic areas. India for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. Botswana in Africa. I mean, the list goes on and on. Tell me, tell me about Botswana, please. Everyone's been using Botswana as, a, as, an, as an example of a successful African nation. And I want to understand this. I, again, I'm not, I'm not an expert on this. Um, what I do understand about Botswana, it is, it is, they, they've moved away from socialism from the 19, like the early eighties. Right. So they've, they've privatized a lot of their industry. They've privatized, uh, their utilities. Um, I'm not sure if it's all, but a lot of them and so forth. And they're right next to, you know, Zimbabwe, right? So they're right next to, uh, Mugabe's experiment, right? right. The the, 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 yes, the epicenter of uh, failure. Yes, yeah, you know, the collapse and, and the destruction of property, right? And I mean, the, genetically, they're the same, right? I mean, the Botswanans and the Zimbabweans are, are basically the same, mm -hmm. but Botswana is is experiencing a huge economic uh, boom, you know, in, in their economy, uh, in their job market. I hear there's a lot of tech companies that are coming in there. Still have a long way to go. They still need more infrastructure and other things like that. But what's going on in Africa right now? Botswana is reportedly it's standing out. Again, I'm not an expert, but right. very, very good, so, good news so, coming out of Botswana. So yeah. So would you attribute this to be the Botswanians, if that's what they're called, opening up their markets, opening up to to free trade? Yes. Yes. The free trade. Uh, well, uh, I think that one of the first things they did was they they allowed their currency to float. So uh -huh. free free market on on you know they stopped interfering with their currency, um, yeah free trade. I think they reduced all types of tariffs and and all these different types of things. Um, the procedure to start a business was reduced to like one form, and it takes like two days to register a business. So something something it was very efficient, and their tax code was revised. And I I now don't hold me to that. I believe they have a flat tax. I might I might be wrong, right? Uh, but it is very it's pretty low taxation. Well, for those who are listening, if you if you feel moved to look into this information, look into Botswana and finding out what's really going on as far as the economic boom, um, I would welcome you guys to do so and to share the information. Be 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 very thorough and edifying. Um, now, Brooke, I wanted to ask you about uh, Dun Dun Dun. We meant we mentioned Thomas Sowell. What are your thoughts on Milton Friedman? Chicago School of <laughs> Economics, uh, Austrian School of Economics. Tell us. All right. Well, well uh, Milton Friedman, when I was growing up, was definitely a major influence in my life. So he was definitely Chicago School. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they're, they're basically, for those who don't know, they're basically four schools of uh, economics, if you want to call it that. Uh, Marxism is one, Keynesianism, Chicago, and Austrian. Um, Yes, and it, it's all progressively less government regulation. Marxism is heavy government regulation. Um, Keynesian is all about government fiscal policy. Uh, the Chicago School definitely sees a certain amount of re regulation required for you know uh, corporations and anti-monopoly. And the Austrian is 
kind of anarcho-capitalist. They, they, they don't want any uh, any regulation at all, right? right, right. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. Milton Friedman, he did a series back in the 80s called Free to Choose. I, I don't oh, know yeah. if you yeah. Of course, of course. Um, I know it's uh, it's influenced Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's influenced a, a lot of people. I think Reagan was very impressed with it as well. And he, he basically did a, an entire series about different aspects of our lives and how the government didn't do a good job and the free market was able to, you know, turn it around and provide prosperity and all these different types of things. Mm -hmm. And I saw that when I was I maybe in my late teens, maybe 18, 19 or something like that. Change, changed your life forever, didn't it? Changed yeah. my life forever. I was, yeah, yeah. I was definitely on the Milton Friedman train. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, when YouTube finally came out, the, the, one of the first things, besides, you know, sexy girls dancing, I right. started looking at, at Milton Friedman videos. Right. Because um, he did a lot of interviews. He did a lot of, you yeah. know, uh, town hall meetings and, and these different types of things. And he featured um, he featured our guy, Thomas Sowell, several times too. Several times. I mean, and it's very funny to see the same things they were discussing in the late 70s, early 80s. Still are the same here. things we're discussing today right 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 and these and isn't, that, isn't that ironic and at the same time kind of sad like like no one ever listened correct correct no. and, and we've seen that we've seen the halls of academia go progressively more left um so the the, the hippies and the communists and the revolutionaries they all went to law school and they all became professors and the the centrist and, and the kind of libertarian streak they just lost all you know, power in the halls of academia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that is, I don't know who's to blame for that, but that's where we find ourselves today. Right. But yeah, it's, it, I mean, he's a huge influence. I loved his work. Um, I've, I've even listened to his son, although his son, I, his son originally was a lawyer and became an economist. I've had some disagreements with some of his assessments. Right. But right. still, still a very good guy, kind of standing in his father's legacy. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, I, I tend to lean more well, closer to the Austrian school, if I'm to be honest. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, the, I mean, the, the difference, the big difference between the Chicago and the Austrian, uh, the Austrians focus on individuals. They're, they're the one school of thought that sees the entrepreneur as a resource. Right. And they're, they're very focused on human action. So the economy may, is made up of thousands of human choices and because we can't really know what everybody's going to choose, they can't really model and like use math to try and you know project and do these other types of things. Right. Um, the Chicago school they deal on resources more so that you know okay resources are finite. Mm -hmm. um, they're not as particular about human action and, and stuff like that, uh, but they they tend to approach economics more like a hard science. Right. Right. So so yeah. If we if we if you and I. You and I were to get together with some other people. I don't know whoever you you can think of, who I, whoever I can think of, the listeners can think of, and we were to redesign Trinidad next week. <laughs> what? Well, I would I would go for individualism. Of course, I, I would say, you know, the average Trinidadian needs to understand that he or she needs to create wealth for themselves and loosen their dependency syndrome tremendously right until there's no dependency syndrome and they need to do things for themselves um take for instance and uh, and i'll let you speak after this um the wasa debacle why aren't 
Trinidadians irrigating. Someone someone mentioned this to me. Like, okay, why can't these people do things for themselves? Why aren't they <laughs> irrigating? Where are their aqueducts? Where is the where is the innovation and 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 the uh, the, the what is how is it said the mother of necessity and all that kind of stuff, right? Where is that? To, to get your own water, Desalin desalinization. Why aren't you guys doing these things like reverse osmosis? Do these things as a community, as a people, put the, the government out of business, so to speak. Why aren't you doing these things? So I would be a, a huge proponent for the individual. Yes. What, what, yes. What's your, what's your, what would be your approach? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely an individualist. Uh, that is the, the smallest minority is the individual. So I'm, I'm on board with that. Uh, I would say I would definitely introduce either accounting or economics in school, like at a, at a pretty, you know, secondary school level and stuff like that. And that's, that's how Singapore did it. Singapore just made the decision that, you know, they no longer want to be a developing country and everybody had to do accounting. So everybody had to understand numbers and, you know, be able to read a balance sheet. Right. So they, they had an idea of what was going on. Um, I would, uh, I would insist that something like that would take place because if, if otherwise you're kind of in the dark, <laughs> you know, right, that, that's, right. the, that's the only way you change a culture. Um, right. I'd also do something about the men in Trinidad. Um, mm. Mm. yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a big one. Cause, uh, again, growing up in Trinidad, you know, who are our idols? Who are the people we look up to? It, it's a lot of. Yeah, it's it's the sportsmen, you know, Brian Lara, of course, you know, you've got uh, Russell Latipi and Dwight York, the footballers. Um, you don't have a lot of outside of sports, a couple of music artists and singers and stuff like that. Um, more recently, uh, the gentleman who played in the Wakanda Black Panther movie, I can't remember his name. Um, if it's if it's not sports and entertainment, what there what what is there? Yeah, Bas basically to sum it up, there's there's nothing outside of sports or entertainment for men, Trinidadian men, to mm -hmm. look up to, and I would I would try to find different role models, and as as a government policy, I would do exposés and and you know go onto it. Like we have phenomenal writers, as you well know, that mm -hmm. you don't really hear again. You know, yeah. you don't hear about again. We've had. Uh, playwrights you know uh walcott was you know he was a nobel prize winner mm -hmm. you don't you don't you don't see a lot of of, of that going on um so CLR, I think james, clr james uh, exactly naipaul yeah. and these guys so i i would definitely try for men especially for men to find role models and try to esteem that into the schools mm. that it's beyond just entertainment and sports you can be a writer you can be whatever Mm -hmm. Um, even, even my great uncle, he was a, a leading scientist that discovered the Epstein-Barr virus, you know, and, and oh, to shit. this day, we still get letters, you know, from people like, wow, you know, his research was pioneering and stuff like that. Oh, oh. But that, that's like the, he's part Chinese. So this, the Chinese association follows up on that. And, but I would right. have that as a national policy. Like we need to show young people what's possible. Right. right yeah, right. definitely. Okay. Now, um, something else I wanted to touch on um, in, in regards to the, the dependency syndrome. Yes. I mean, yes. do you do you have anything else to, to add on that about the dependency syndrome? How? Okay, let's let's look at the the Wasa business that's going on right now in Trinidad, right? Like, okay, we we understand that that basically pretty much that this industry is um, nationalized. Yes. And I've heard on the grapevine that you know. 
they're they're going as far as saying the authorities are going as far as saying that dude even the water and the streams belong to wasa yeah that, that is actually the law even the, the rain that falls belongs to wasa and i i know this because we tried to start a water company <laughs> so yes that's actually very true that's scary it's ridiculous it, i mean it's, it's it's an antiquated law um that i mean really the rain the rain come on man it was so 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 so, you, 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 so essentially they can't even catch rainwater well you can catch rainwater but you'd probably well i mean i don't think they do it in practice you, you but you'll be you'll be billed you oh no shit yeah okay that, that i mean oh, okay. it, it's ridiculous but that's again bad legislation antiquated legislation um that is no place to live yeah it, it it doesn't leave it doesn't leave any room for innovation um, at all it's, it's stifling entrepreneurship it's, yes. it's stifling individualism the very thing that the things that we were talking about correct um my god what are the people to do yeah yeah you're i mean you're absolutely right in that respect no i, I don't think it's enforced like truly the, i mean i know a couple of places where they have wells you know on, on private land people have dug wells and stuff like that I don't know if common really do anything with it, but yeah, that is the legislation. So, but so, even so if that's the case, yeah. So, so basically, the 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 current economic model sort of contributes to the to the dependency syndrome. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because everything, uh, especially in the case of the of Wasa, for those who don't know, is the Water and Sewage Authority. Um, so they control the water and the sewage. Um, but yeah, they, they, by law, they own all of the water in the country, including the rain that falls. And if, if you're not allowed to access any of that without permission from them, so even the bottle water companies have to pay WASA for distribution. The, the distribution and using the water, whether it's artesian well or, you know, some stream or something. Um, yeah. And even with that, they're still not profitable, right? I mean, they literally own it all and, and, the company is in a complete financial disarray. So, um, but yeah, it, it's bad. It's pretty bad. So, so my God. Um, it's a so, whole so other level, I'm, isn't it? <laughs> oh my God. Is what? So there's no such thing as living off the grid in Trinidad. Not, no, not, not in, I mean, not, not legally. I don't know in practice because I do know a couple of people who are living kind of squatter like, Right. Uh, you know, I mean, you could do it. I mean, they're not going to come out to the bush and, you know, find out if you, you, you know, drawing water from a stream or something. Um, yeah, it, it, they're, they're more draconian in, in the city, of course, because that's where, you know, everything has value and, and the, the, right, the pipes right. are there and stuff like that. But th this is why we have the debacle where the community, uh, where is it? Tablelands doesn't have any water. Right. 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 right? It's, there's no there's no incentive for the infrastructure to go out that far because everything is in the city right so we could also make the argument hey you know and i wanted to ask you this question i've been asking this question like do trinidadians really pay taxes like come on really <laughs> i i think that the tax paying portion of the society is like 30 or yeah 30 percent or 40 percent right so 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 then okay you you have this industry that's nationalized like wasa right they're yes. nationalized and 
you're basically going to have to pay for water, right? Which is yes. sounds normal. It's it, that's natural. That's yes. whatever. The, 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 this is a commodity that the government is supposed to provide, provided that the uh, the society is that advanced or that civilized. Sure. Um, you got to pay for it, right? These things. There's no such thing as, a, as anything that's free in, in any society, right? Correct. Now, even if you were to privatize this, Trinidadians, you're going to have to pay for it. Correct. I mean, they pay for it now. There, there are water rates that we pay every year. Um, it, it's it's small. It is it's very cheap in terms of in an industrial country. It's it's very cheap for the water. You pay it. You could pay it monthly. You could pay it yearly. As we say, uh -huh. peppercorn peppercorn fees, but everybody pays okay. that, and that's your wa your water connection. So, um, yeah. So right now, what's going on is that people are paying and they're not getting what they're paying for. Is that what's going on? I, I can't speak to the actual situation in in Tablelands um, because I obviously I don't know who's paying what, what rates and stuff like that. If there is pipe borne water to the area and there's just no water in the taps, they would they should be paying. I, I, I can't say if they are in, or they are not. If there is no piping uh, and there's no, in order to be to be charged rates, you must have a wasa connection to your house or to your land. Right. So if they don't have that, they will do an area scout for what we call a standpipe or an open, uh, an open tap mm -hmm. in the area within a certain vicinity and you should pay something for that. So it's too complicated for me to say, okay, well, yeah, they're paying it and they're just not getting it. I, I, I just don't know. I remember the first time we got water. <laughs> <laughs> where, where was that? Do you, do you remember? This was in the East Coast. This, this was when yeah. UNC first came into power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the uh, early 90s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember as a kid having to, you know, fill buckets and stuff to flush the toilet and, you know whatever yeah. you did whatever you needed to do right but um it's 30 something odd years later and god is still this problem correct correct it, it's i mean as you're saying this is not a, a poor country you know this right. this country has wealth and, and stuff like that um it's it's political will at the end of the day and it, it's government incompetence right every state-run enterprise has this built into it mm -hmm. um and and wasa is one of the biggest i mean they've, they've just dealt with petrotrain which would have been the biggest petrotrain was the nationalized gas com uh, oil company mm -hmm. wasa is, is the next big one and yeah i, I don't know what's going to happen with that but it has to be dealt with right so so explain explain to the audience and our listeners uh um the importance of small government well, I mean, the, the alternative is big government. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if, if a government gets too big, as I can't remember who said, it. I don't know if it was Saul or somebody else, but a government that's big enough to give you everything that you want is powerful enough to take away everything that you have. And do you think that's what's going on in Trinidad? It's not happening now, but let, let's, let's just understand this, that government represents the biggest pot of money and the biggest gun in any society, right? Right, if right. It controls the armed forces, it controls the police, the, the courts, and it's got the tax revenue. Mm -hmm. And it is by nature, it's going to attract people who are attracted to power and wealth. Mm -hmm. Now, those, those don't tend to be Mother Teresa types, you know, they're not given <laughs> to fasting and prayer type, you know? Yeah. Those tend to be kind of maniacal, 
maybe you know sociopathic people you you get some very unscrupulous characters mm-hmm. so the danger of a of a of a big government that that's doing everything is you can get a chavez a maduro a mugabe mm-hmm. um a mao you can get somebody who comes in and uses that government power for evil for, you know for want of a better word that's always the risk now the the us has has tried to circumvent that by the second amendment so you have an armed populace to prevent tyranny right the idea is if if somebody really crazy came in there are systems in place to check it and stuff like that uh-huh. but in a country like trinidad if the government is too big and they control too much um as we've seen what's happening in venezuela where everything was was basically nationalized you can't you you know if if, if somebody comes into power that's wants power and control and they have an uprising they just turn off the water to the uprisers right or they they block the food and whatever whatever the case might be they control too much and they can impose tyranny on the people right so um i have to do this you know because to stay so, in um stay in in vein of philosophy now there's i don't know if you're familiar with uh, thrasymachus or thrasymachus and his argument that he posited to uh, socrates where he says that uh majority of the laws of a land is they're, they're, they're passed by the rule, the rulers for the benefit of the rulers. Correct. And Socrates responded and said, no, that's, that's ridiculous because it's, it's sophistry because uh, it's like a physician having to doctor and administer healthcare to people. Mm-hmm. If he is to do things in his favor, he'll be out of a position tomorrow. You know, likewise with the rulers and the ruled, the rulers have to um, instill certain laws uh, to govern and protect the people as well, because if they don't, there will be an uprising. It will be counterproductive for them to do so, to, to make laws to, that only benefit them. W- with that understanding, or if you do understand what it is I'm talking about here, um, how does this play a role, or do you see any sort of um, similarities with Trinidadians where Trinidadians think that the rulers or the, the, the politicians are doing things to benefit themselves and the 1%. Oh, right? definitely. And it kind of goes back to the same question I asked you about, you know, uh, explaining to Trinidadians what the role of the 1% and the politicians are all about. But can you reflect on this or uh, expound on this in, in, in regards to Thrasymachus and his sophistry where he says that, uh, the, the laws are created by the rulers to uh, benefit the rulers, the, to benefit the strong. Um, I, I would say as a political philosophy, that's probably true. It doesn't mean that there's nothing for the people. Um, I think there was a study done. I, I know it's done in the United States. I don't know if it's been done in Trinidad, but uh, from the time Congress and the Senate and, and you know the U.S. was was founded, um, the percentage of legislation by wealthy and rich industry that actually got passed was at a much higher percentage than what would be considered everyday people uh, type of legislations. Right. So I, I think as, as, as a rule of, of political, of, I don't want to say political science, but just, just kind of a, a, a mores on how politics takes place, those with the resources to lobby tend to get what they want. Right. right. Now, on the flip side, you got the Machiavelli response to that, which is 
look, if if as a king or a ruler, you just like hog all the resources, quite rightly, and you give nothing to the people, there'll be an uprising, right? Of course. Yeah, completely agree, completely agree. Now, of course, that's a two-edged sword where, yes, you've got to give something back to the people, um, but at the same time, it creates dependency, it, dec- it, it creates... Um, you know, a political opponents because your opponent could basically offer them more and it tends to drain the economy in, in, in the long term. Right. But that's a fact. You, you need to have some kind of provision for the people. Right, right. The and caveat... I, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, you know, the caveat is, is if you get the government out of it, um, you can actually do that by providing services for the, po- uh, for, for the people and not have the political risk if it's nationalized. Right, right, right. right? That's the case of Sweden, you know, ironically. Yeah. Their, yeah. their, their social security, for instance, their retirement the package, safety net. The safety yeah, net, the yeah. social safety net. The social safety is privatized. Right. Right. Cool. So the, the politicians can't use the retirement benefits and stuff like that to win votes. As we see, like in Trinidad, every year they add like a thousand dollars to the the retirement benefit or whatever it is, costing the state money. Mm. So you can do it. You know, everybody's going to get social security from um, you know the government, but they don't actually run the fund at all. It's all privatized, and I believe they're competing funds as well, and they try to outdo each other. So that that's a caveat that you could try to use to avoid a lot of those pitfalls. Right, 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 and uh, you know um, for. Trinidadians, if, for those of you who are listening, um, I, uh, if I were to uh, reflect on Alexi, Alexis de, de, de Tocqueville, where he saw the similarities in the American system to that of the European system. However, he made a distinction, and the distinction he made was that Americans participated vigorously in public mm-hmm. life and civic association outside of the political realm. Yes. You know, and, and this fomented the American spirit, which added fire to the idea that we are all in it together. Social yes, yeah. cohesion and the spirit of social associations. So it, Trinidadians, it doesn't necessarily have to be um, within the framework of politics. You can do things for yourselves. Do things for yourselves. Be, be active. What, whatever Brooke, whatever happened to I don't know if you're familiar with Gayap. Whatever happened to that? Not sure. What is this? Gayap is considered a, a, a Trinidadian, but it's it's a Trini an Afro Trini um, term Gayap, where one helps one, and in turn the other person for their help they help the other. And okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, no, I can't say that I have, but I mean, I'm definitely you know that that kind of you know brotherhood we're in this together type of thing is is definitely needed. Um, but, <laughs> but, but this is, this is a huge, but there, yes, because uh, you don't want to create a dependency syndrome, right? Correct. You don't want to stifle individualism, Correct. but what, what it is I'm talking about here, you have problems in your society. Take for instance, dude, the, the, the water nonsense that that's going on with Wasa, dude, yes. you guys are the people you, you, you are the people, the people. Yes. Hello. And, and, you know, just get together, band together and do things for yourself, you know, despite, yeah, the government might use, might use force, but this is how you get the, the ball rolling, you know, Correct. you Correct. have to start something. Otherwise you're just going to be sitting ducks, just waiting for, uh, for big government to steamroll you. 
And it's coming. It's definitely coming, I think, in my opinion. Right? Correct. Correct. I think, um, I mean, it's not, it's not a perfect analogy. The, the Flint, Michigan situation with their water, mm-hmm. um, they have a different problem where the water is contaminated, I believe, is, is what's going on there. And it, it's another failure of government because the municipality is run by the state. Um, but I mean, what, what has been the outreach for that is, yeah, these are, these are Americans. These are our brothers and sisters and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, huge outpouring of charity. You know, people were flying in water from all over the world. That's um, right. <laughs> I heard there was volunteer plumbers that showed up in the hundreds and, you know, they, they added filtration systems to the, to the, you know, that's the I, American spirit. <laughs> you, I completely agree. Completely agree. Um, yeah. I don't think that uh, I don't see why that cannot happen at a more local level, except for the fact that this dependency mentality is there. Yeah. And this is what we, we've seen. There's a, there's a fantastic book. Uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head. It, it talks about England and its introduction of the welfare state uh, in, in the 70s and stuff like that. And how, it, for the first time, it created the permanently unemployed and unemployable. Thatcher? Uh, well, it, it, well, it wasn't directed at Thatcher. But yeah, it was part of the welfare society and stuff. But there's a book on it. And it talks about what, that because people are just getting their resources from the state, uh-huh. the, 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 the state is not really a good caretaker, right? It's, it's it, a bureau- it really isn't, yeah. It's a bureaucratic and vote-winning and tax-farming institution, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really know how to care for people. So, you know, people, as you know, people exploit the system. They, you know, take advantage of it. You know, oh, I've got a back issue. And then they're dancing salsa. You know, it's just nonsense, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and it just creates this this dependency. Like out here in the UK, the single motherhood thing has exploded because of if course. you're a single mom, you get benefits from the state. You get they pay for your house, they give you an allowance and gas and you know all these yeah, types so of things. Single mother parenting is incentivized. Is it, it's incentivized, so that's why you get more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of what happens with this dependency. If you have a large welfare system you're going to get more dependence because it's, it's basically free money. Right, right. Um, it and it's, it, as you say, it's a trap. And it's so far removed from the people. Yeah. It's so like, what we had, yeah. It's I mean, like sclerosis, like, like decay of democracy. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Correct. I mean, and, and this is part of one of many reasons why the Roman Empire also felt was, you know, this corruption and stuff like that. Right, right. But what we used to have was something called mutual aid societies or something called friendly societies. And I mean, you could say they were racist or whatever, you know, because you had like, you know, the, the Jewish, you know, house of whatever and, the, and the, you know, the, the, the Caribbean, whatever, and the African one and, you know, the Freemasons and, you know, these were guilds that basically were, they, they took the place of today insurance, uh, funeral expenses, uh, healthcare, uh, as well as social security and as well as job placements types of things. Mm-hmm. So the, up until the, about the 1960s, people used to join a guild. They, these were what they were. And when the one person was in, his entire family was in, he would meet the other families in the community and everybody contributed a little bit towards the guild. Mm-hmm. And they all knew each other. And if one guy was down on his luck, you know, you know, he lost his job or whatever, the guild will help him financially you know, to survive as well as help him find work. Um, and if you, you know, if, if eventually he passed away, you know, what he paid in would go and 
pay for his funeral expenses. That's what we had before. And uh-huh. it worked because everybody, like that was the community. Everybody knew each other, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. That's been outlawed, you know, because of the welfare state. Right. So how is this, how, how would, to the, to the layperson, they would say, well, isn't that the same thing as, uh, as what the government provides? Isn't that the same thing as a government dependency? Well, how, no, because, uh-huh. because the distance between the government bureaucrat who's giving you the check and uh-huh. the person is vastly removed from somebody who's in your community, knows you personally, and can direct uh, resources as needed. Uh, right. Right. So, so the further the, the the distance between the person and the resource is more room for corruption. Right. Right. That's right, right. And, and it's in government too. The further you are from the seat of power, the more corruption is more likely with the with the tax money that you're sending. So you want things as local as possible. Right. 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 So I have one last question and I'm going to let you go and close off because we've sure. been here for uh, for our allotted time, which is an hour and a half. Um, what changes should Trinidadians be demanding if they are to demand anything of their government to ensure a better economic future? Uh, I mean, there's a lot that could be said on that. I, will, I would basically say right now they need to liberalize the economy. I would say stop the war on drugs. Uh, like if immediately I would say legalize marijuana. Um, I think that that would, yeah, it's so many young people that are being caught in this, this fight on drugs and being caught with marijuana. And I know, I know several friends of mine personally that have been arrested and imprisoned um, mm-hmm. for possession and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and th- that's a record they can't escape from. The, the criminal record of their possession is more damaging than the marijuana itself. All right, right, right. right. Yeah. So stop the war on the youth immediately, right? The war on drugs thinks that has to end. Either decriminalize or legalize it and make it recreational and, and get the tourist money coming in. Right. Um, that would be my immediate thing. Um, but yeah, they have they have to figure out a way to boost entrepreneurship in the country, um, whether it's through grants, whether they need to do uh, simplify the private placement laws where people could write their own securities to raise money for funds. Uh, they need to do something to try and encourage the entrepreneurial class in Trinidad and Tobago, which are many. Many of them are very creative. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- those would be the two things. I'd say encourage the entrepreneurial class. Uh, class and legalize marijuana. I say, I would say legalize everything, but that's a very extreme position. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, one step at a time, I'm trying to one step. Right? Yeah, ma- marijuana, they don't have a lot of magic mushrooms. I would have said that too, but yeah, definitely start there. And you'll get the tourism, you know, the youth men, they might start planting, you know, we'll get a bunch of ganja farmers. Right, right. Remember that, that game? Do you remember that game from Queen's Yes, <laughs> yes, of course. I do remember the game where the helicopters would come in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's my advice. Like immediately, like today, I would say those are things that they could, they could start doing today. Okay. And uh, I know we mentioned we, we mentioned Milton Friedman. We've mentioned um, Thomas Sowell. Do yes. you recommend any other economists or any further readings that Trinidadians should engage in to further uh, their further edify themselves on the... The, their economic plight and situation in Trinidad? Uh, definitely, the Trinidadians do not have a very good sense of money. 
Um, so he's not an economist, but uh, I would recommend Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It, it definitely explains how wealth is created, how to create wealth, how anybody can create wealth. Um, I, I read that when I was very young as well, probably 18. Uh, again, totally transformed my life. Okay, Rich Dad, a, Poor Dad. Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, as a basic primer into understanding wealth and, and the creation of wealth, the best book on handling money, like personal finances okay. and taking responsibility. I think it's the best book out there. Okay. Any others? Um, hmm. I mean, there are a lot of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, you wouldn't want to give something too, you know, Heavy. too technical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, the basic economics was by soil is definitely a good one. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Is there any other? Every, everything else would be kind of academic, like the road to serfdom and F.A. Hayek and these guys. It's, I, yeah. I don't. I don't think Trinidad is is in a place for that right now. But is is it generally ac academia, or or they just don't have a um, their attention span? What is it? Um, I mean, let let's be. You have to have a certain amount of interest in money and economics to to pick up an economics textbook. Is isn't you know it's not a bestseller, you know? Right. Um, and Trinidad is all about entertainment. Let, let just being real. Yes, they, yeah. they're always looking for the next party. They're always looking for you know the next event. So giving yeah. them something that's too academic is you know it it kind of counterproductive. So so as a little bit of advice to me, a person that that's interested in in changing the 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 values and the philosophy, using philosophy uh, to change the values of Trinidad and Tobago. What, you just mentioned something that's very crucial. Like, take for instance, the free market of, 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 of ideas will dictate what Trinidad is listened to, and unfortunately, it happens to be the ghetto stuff, the entertainment stuff. It, it's always salacious talks and jokes. And if you can, if you could get down into that milieu and introduce something serious, yet be uh, a smart man, you know. Yes. What, what what advice would you give me, a person like me who's who's interested in in introducing more? Uh, uh, I'm very academic. I think I think myself to be very academic, and I am interested in in introducing philosophy. And and yeah, as an ethicist, you know, I talk about how ought we to how ought we to live, et cetera, et cetera. What what in, what advice would you give? Uh, well, let me, let me first compliment you on the work that you are doing. I, I do enjoy your stuff. And I, I know that you're stirring the pot, as they say. You're, you're kind of uh, get, trying to get people to think and have a bit of shock value to that. Uh, yeah. And that, that has its place. We, we definitely need people like yourself uh, doing that. Um, but more to the point, you, you need to make it entertaining. Um, it, it's like, I mean, this, this is the question all of us are asking. Like, how do we change people's minds? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, who really don't want their minds changed, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the first thing. You're never going to change somebody's mind who doesn't, who's not open to having it changed regardless. So there's always going to be a section of the population that's not interested. But for the other aspect, yeah, you you got to keep it interesting. Um, one of the most profound things that I s had a very profound effect in Trinidad was an interview by Bungie Gar with Bungie Garland in New York. And of course, Bungie Garland is a big soca artist in Trinidad. Everybody kind of loves his music and stuff. This was around the time when he had uh, Ready for the Road, which was a big hit maybe three years ago. Okay. And he talked about uh, the, the culture in Trinidad, 
how they do not support the artists. Unlike the Jamaicans, you know, they have a very strong grassroots yeah. kind of appeal and they support the artists and stuff like that. Trinidad, not so much. You kind of have to pay your dues internationally before they'll take you seriously. Ah, uh, yeah. Once right. the international uh, scene is recognizing you, then they'll jump on. Then you have credibility. Yeah, the bandwagonists will jump on, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was amazing was the reaction to that. It's, it's, I think it's very true. I think what he said was spot on. Um, of course, Trinidadians don't like criticism of, of any kind, uh -huh. but it had such a far-reaching um, audience because it was an entertainment interview, mm. right? It was the fact that it was Bungie Garland having this conversation. A lot of people watched him because it was in New York, I think, was the interview. And he managed to slip in this small thing that had far-reaching effects of, of, I mean, I was having that conversation Everywhere I was going, I was hearing people talk about this conversation. Really? So my point would be, you need to find a way to make it entertaining. Okay. And kind of hide it. <laughs> right? So, I, I, put, 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 put it put it in gossip format? I don't know if gossip is the way, to, but something like that. You, you've got to think outside the box. Kind of like how you give medication to dogs by hiding it in the food. <laughs> right? Wow. You know, to the that's, you know... That's so insulting to Trinidadians, though, you know? I, I don't mean it to be, but I mean, in terms of hiding it, you have to kind of do it like that. So I know one guy, he, he wanted to do it through animations. Okay. Um, or even like he would do it, another friend of mine, he's trying to do it through poetry to some soca music. Well, not soca music, but, but to a musical background and stuff like that. Um, get creative. That, that's the best way I can do it. Trinidadians respond to creativity. Mm. And that, that's the best advice I can give you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to look into that. I, I definitely am. Um, it would be a challenge for me. I'd tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> it would be such a challenge because, you know, I, 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 I think for Trinidadians, they, it's, 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 come on, man, it's high time for you guys to, you know, rise above that. And, and I, I, I just want to be candid and have an open conversation. Like, this is what it is. Like you shouldn't, have to rely on the entertainment factor, or I would call it the gossip tenement yard uh, mm. ghetto kind of approach in order for you. I mean, you've seen these people on, on Facebook. That's all it really is. And it's so sad. I, I feel so heartbroken that, you know, gosh, these people just, they need that. And it's, it's, it tells a lot. It tells a lot, but thank you very much. And I'm going to look into that. I'm definitely going to look. Into that. I hope you do. I hope you do. I hope your audience continues to grow and, as I said, you're not going to reach everyone. We know that, but I don't you know, if, you, if yeah, you reach a few as you already have, and I hope that continues to grow and you see great success with it. Right, right, right. Thank you very much. And I want to thank you for joining me here today. And it's, it's, dude, it's such a pleasure and an honor. I, I, I'm being very sincere. It really is. I've told you before, I've intimated certain things to you in, in private conversation about, you know, us talking it's like me talking to my siblings and the things that we talk <laughs> about, right? Um, yes. Yeah, so it's it's an honor, man. And thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I really it was, appreciate it. It was my pleasure, man. It, you know, we always have a good time having a conversation. I, I look forward to it. Uh, my friend Amos is actually in the chat. I think he's watching us now. So hi, Amos. Uh, he's oh, my co-host. Uh, yeah, we'll see about, you know, getting you on the show and, you know, we'll have another interesting conversation about the flip side. What's it like in the United States? Oh, sure. Sure. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, my friend.
No problem. So thank you very much, Brooke. And this concludes our segment of Trinidad uh, Renaissance Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And I will be in touch very soon. Thanks, thanks again, Brooke, and have a good day. Thanks again. Okay, bye.